Wherever cancer is, Hancock Health will fight. In any part of you and in all corners of East Central Indiana. From Indianapolis to Greenfield to Knightstown to Greensburg. From hospital rooms to family rooms, we fight. With technology and medicine. With care backed by the wisdom of Mayo Clinic. For you, for your family, and for your future in Decatur County. We fight cancer here. HancockHealth.org slash cancer. Oh my goodness, it's a Monday and it's a new intro and it's so exciting and the world is new again. Yes, 93 WIBC, it is the Kendall and Casey show. I'm Rob, Casey's out today and oh, look who it is. He's an author, he's a broadcaster, he's a provocateur. He's back. (laughs) The owner-operator of IndiePolitics.org, Abdul Hakeem Shabazz. We got just some incredible stuff on polling related to the 2024 presidential election to get into. But first, Kev, it's so nice to hear something different. Great job on that new intro. Yeah, just trying to keep things fresh. Boy, that's just, you never know what you're going to get on this program. All right, so a new poll is out. It is done by the New York Times and Siena College. So certainly not uh, anybody going to mistake them for Breitbart or Newsmax or uh, radical right-wing Republican shill monsters. Or or, or someone's online poll. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And this poll shows that in five of the six, because let's face it, Abdul, there's really only about six or seven states that actually matter anymore. I would say probably 10 altogether. Yeah. I mean, it's always the same ones. It's Nevada, Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. You might throw Colorado in there, maybe, you know, a New Mexico. But in, in, in those six states, Nevada, Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, Trump leads Biden in five of the six, and many of them, I mean, there are at least four, all the five of those with at least a four-point lead. We always say polling is but a snapshot of a moment in time. I got to say, I'm a little surprised by this. Um, here's here's my theory. As someone who's actually done polling before, so I totally understand what the New York Times and the folks that went through. Like, like you said, polling is, is not a prediction, so let's make that clear. So if you're far right, far left, you get all excited or worked up. It's not a prediction. It's a snapshot in time. That's kind of point number one. However, you put enough snapshots together, <clears throat> excuse me, it's kind of like um, quizzes in college. <clears throat> one quiz isn't going to determine your grade, but enough quizzes can probably, is a pretty good indicator as to how you're doing and what your grade in the class is going to be. Yeah. Now, granted, it's a year to go before the election. Sure. Anything can and more likely will happen. Joe Biden can slip on the soap in the shower Donald Trump could be doing his thing from a jail cell. Right. So, Are, are you surprised, though, that as high as Trump's unfavorables are, it, show, it really does show how disliked Biden actually is? It, it, it tells me there's very little enthusiasm uh, in Biden's base, because like uh, for Democrats, for, 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 for a number of reasons, and the, the Trump support is still a lot more intense yeah now this poll of course does not factor in a third party like a robert f kennedy jr which could you know totally throw the whole thing out of whack and if my grandmother had wheels i'd be a wagon (laughs) what did you just say if my mother had wheels i'd be a wagon oh i uh boy with you you just never know (laughs) um okay so here's the breakdown again this is a new york times siena college poll so again certainly you can't say well that was totally skewed towards republicans in nevada trump has a 10 well 11 point lead 
52-41 over Biden. In Georgia, where the dude is about to go on trial, he's got a six-point lead over Biden, 49-43. In Arizona, he's got a five-point lead, 49-44. In Michigan, he's got a five-point lead, 48-43. In Pennsylvania, he's got a four-point lead, 48-44. And in in Wisconsin, Biden holds a two-point lead, 47-45. And so you're looking at places, I mean, look, Nevada, Trump lost, uh, Georgia, Trump lost, Arizona, Trump lost, Michigan, Trump lost, uh, Pennsylvania, Trump lost. I mean, these are all the, I mean, it is just amazing how Biden has burned through any goodwill he might have had. Yeah, but but something to keep in mind, too, is that, number one, also, uh, we're a year out from the presidential race. And if you go back uh, to look at probably from a historical perspective, once, say, Barack Obama was in this sort of spot. Uh, in 2012 uh, with Mitt Romney. I want to say Bill Clinton was. I want to say even, uh, to a lesser degree, George George W. Bush was uh, back in 2003, right before 2004. So what what does Biden have to do, though? I mean, what is... There's no... You know as well as I do, there's no policy he's going to put forward where people are going to go, oh my gosh, inflation is suddenly under control. Oh my gosh, the economy is suddenly so much better. What can he do? Uh, I think part of it is it's making that it, it's uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like sort of like uh, a, a sort of a national play of the mayor's race. What he has to do is make that emotional connection with voters. People, You're talking about Indianapolis. Yeah, Indianapolis. Yeah, people kneel. People fundamentally. I've always argued that voting is fundamentally an emotional process. People either vote for who they like or they vote against who they can't stand. I don't think the, those, those folks in the middle are necessarily going to go run for Donald Trump per se because of for a whole various reasons. But Joe Biden has not sealed the deal. He needs to go seal the deal, and make that emotional connection with with the voters, particularly with his base. There was some really interesting audio, by the way. It's Kendall and Casey show. I'm Rob. Uh, Casey's out this week. Abdul in for Casey. Uh, some interesting audio from the weekend talk shows about this. And I want to start with ABC's This Week. And they are openly discussing. And this is George Stephanopoulos, right? He's a Democrat through and through. He's the host of that show. He was Bill Clinton's right-hand man for many years. I mean, he is a Democrat cheerleader. And here they are openly discussing Biden stepping aside. Now, what's interesting about this is the audio you're going to hear is from Associated Press Executive Director Julie Pace. And she says the biggest problem with Biden stepping aside is there isn't a viable alternative. This is probably going to lead to a lot of Democrats increasing the chatter that Joe Biden should step aside and, and, and make room for another Democrat. And I think the problem that Democrats have is they don't know who that Democrat would be right now. I don't think that uh, people look at Kamala Harris and feel like she is ready to take that step forward. They look across the rest of the party, governors, senators, mayors, House members, and they're struggling to figure out who they could put up if it's not Joe Biden. And so I think the reality is Democrats are probably going to run Joe Biden. I think she's right. I think for months now, a year, people have been saying somebody else is going to get in. Somebody else is going to run. At this point, Abdul, it's almost getting too late in that process, right? I mean, yeah, because you got you got filing deadlines that are yes. popping up real fast, real quick here. That's kind of point uh, number one. Point number two, you got to have organization, you got people, you got to have your your, your fifty yeah. something odd state strategy. I mean, if you if you're going to do it. Uh, yeah, yeah, might want to get that done uh, now, son. Yeah, the final exam is next week. So here is uh, Pramilia Jayapal. She is a congresswoman from Washington. She's a part of the squad, and she was on the weekend talk show circuit, and she says the same thing. Democrats but I will are tell you. 
But I will tell you, this is the first time, Jen, that I have felt like the 2024 election is in great trouble for the president and for our democratic control, which is essential to moving forward. I agree with her. I don't think it's just Biden is so I mean. Biden is like the perfect storm because there were a lot of people who had issues with Obama's policies. He came off to the public at large as a likable person. Um, Kind of the same thing with George W. Bush when he was running for re-election and the war in Iraq had not been raging on at length, which hurt him towards the end. George W. Bush, whatever you thought about his policies, was a cool dude. Like, he was a fun guy. It'd be fun to... Now, he obviously didn't drink at that point, but be fun to go out and, you know, <laughs> hang out and run around with. Biden, it's like this decrepit old man who not only is he no fun and lost his marbles, but his policies people aren't aren't happy with. Well, the, well, the thing is going to be, and that's why whenever polls come out like a year before the presidential race, like I said, it's, it's a snapshot. Uh, but go back to the 2020 presidential race where... Biden was in trouble, and South Carolina kind of came along and saved saved the day. So, a year in politics, ladies and gentlemen, is a, a is three hundred sixty five million different lifetimes. All right, I got to play you. Speaking of the presidential election, I got to play you this audio from Chris Christie over My the guy. weekend. So, it's somehow I knew, I just knew. Okay, so he's at this Florida Republican Party Freedom Summit, so all the presidential candidates are there, and they're speaking, and. It's Florida. Trump lives there. He's very popular. He easily won the state uh, last time. He won the time before. He's clearly the front runner. Poll after poll shows in Florida. And, you know, a big part of the Christie speech is he goes after Trump. I mean, that's his shtick, right? Like that's his whole campaign is is around that. And I want to get your take on this afterwards, because not only in this clip is he going after Trump, he goes after the audience, which seems like a very weird approach as somebody who needs these very people to vote for him for president. Take a listen to this. And, and will not make this country better. Your anger, your anger, your anger against the truth is reprehensible. <laughs> When you think about the problems, when you think about the problems that our country and this world is facing, when you think about that, this type of pettiness, this type of pettiness is beneath, beneath the process of electing a president. And... And as people, and as people watch today, as people watch today, if your arguments are so strong, if your arguments are so great and mine are so bad, then just keep quiet. Let me make my awful arguments and then you can just reject them out of hand. But the problem is, the problem is, the problem is you fear the truth. The problem is you want to shout down any voice that says anything different than what you want to hear. And you can continue to do it. And believe me, believe me, it doesn't bother me one bit. This is literally the exact same conversation Kevin and I had, except instead of talking about Donald Trump, we were talking about Dan Fogelberg. (laughs) Kev, can you play like the first, just the first, I don't know, maybe like 10 seconds of that? 
and, and will not make this country better. Your anger, your anger, your anger against the truth is reprehensible. Yes, thank you. That's literally the exact conversation Kevin and I have about Dan Fogelberg. But this is crazy. So you guys got to an argument where we, th- we drank our toast to innocence? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I told you, you know, we've had a long-running thing on this show about I, of course, love and appreciate great music, so Dan Fogelberg may be on my Mount Rushmore of people, and I am ridiculed for that. This is insane, though, to go. You need people to vote for you. You go to this thing, and you're attacking the very people you need to vote for you. You see, but actually, I could. Uh, I can, here's what I hear in Chris Christie's voice is almost sort of loving every minute of it. Of, oh, of just course be, he is. Of being a, being a total jerk to these people. But he's not a person that is seriously wanting to be president. He's a guy on a suicide mission, right? You know, but, you know, but here's the thing. It, it's it's kind of like dating. How do you get the hot girl's attention? Ignore her. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. That was just so good. All right. Abdul's it for Casey today. When we come back, Election Day is tomorrow. Early voting numbers in Marion County way up. What's it all mean? We'll talk about it. Coming up next, Kendall and Casey Show, 93 WIBC. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Very well done. It is the Kendall and Casey show. Got the offspring. Tim to just let it just let it go. I think it's just Fogelberg all day today. I love that. What do you think? Zero objection. Zero. You got any Nirvana over there? The old lady is gone. Let's use this time to the best of our ability, Kev. This is your time. Oh any, you got any social distortion in there? Uh, I might I might. I might. It is the Kendall and Casey Ball show. And chain. <laughs> Casey's out. Abdul is in for Casey. All right, so election day is tomorrow. And there's some interesting data out on the voting thus far in Marion County, which is very this is very surprising to me, given how just just uninspiring Jefferson Shreve and Joe Hogsett have both been. But yet voting numbers are up in Marion County thus far. Yes, uh, it's an interesting dynamic. Uh, usually the day the weekend before Election Day. I mean, you, you do the discoveries, you go to the rallies, you, you talk to voters, but also look at uh, voter turnout. And what we found, and this story is up at uh, Indy Politics, although Marion County has uh, fewer registered voters than the last mayor's race, the number of early voters is up significantly. Now, uh, in 2019, there were 635,000 uh, registered voters. Today, the number is 626, so almost 10,000 fewer registered voters. Now, some of that is people moving. Some of that is also clean the voter rolls, but there are fewer registered voters now than there were four years ago. However, as of Sunday at 6 o'clock when uh, early voting was over on the weekend, and by the way, you can still early vote over at the city county building until about noon today, uh, 43,000 voters cast early ballots compared to 14,000. Wait, what? Yeah. Nearly 43,000 voters requested early ballots this year compared to 14,000 four years ago. So that's 29,000. I mean, I'm doing public school math here. It's 29,000-ish more Ballots, right? Uh, 33,000 voters cast their votes in person, while more than 9,000 uh, cast their votes by mail. 
Uh, four years ago, it was 9,000 in person, only 5,200 by mail. Okay, so what do we make of that? That's got to be good for Shreve, doesn't it? And that sounds very weird to say because he's run such a bad campaign. That's got to be good for Shreve. Well, we also did uh, a breakdown of early voting by, by Democrat and Republican. And, oh. this, and this took a little uh, finagling to, to get sure. done. because You finagling? Because <laughs> one of the things I used to do uh, right around election time is I'd call my um, my sources. We'll put it that way. Like, hey, can you give me an idea of a voter breakdown, Ds, Rs, independents? And what they can do is they can see who voted and uh, who pulled a democratic primary yeah. ballot who voted sure. who a republican primary ballot and you can sort of extrapolate from there now it's part it's more art than science because not everybody who pulls an r ballot sure. votes for republican not everybody who pulls a You're democrat right. votes votes democrat but you can kind of sort of play guesstimate yeah and what we found and this was uh i would say about a week ago is that republicans were actually ahead in early wow. and absentee voting here in marion county well i know which sort of surprised me too because it, traditionally Democrats vote early, Republicans vote on election day. And Republicans were about ahead, about 6 7% uh, in absentee ballot requests, but only had about 3% in actually early voting numbers. Now, granted, now why is this important? Well, number one, in a county where Democrats win like 60 35, yeah. that's a big yeah, that's a big deal. Number two, where Democrats have always held an advantage over early voting. That's also a big deal. And I want to say the last time Republicans were this competitive with respect to early voting was, I want to say, 2007 And that was Greg Ballard yeah. won, right? Yeah. No. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Greg. Is that right? Yeah, Greg Ballard, 2007. That's right. Boy, I'm getting old. <laughs> it doesn't seem that So. Old. So it's good. It, look, it can't be bad for Shreve because he walks in down 60-40, right? I mean, the, if everybody's playing chalk here, the default is pretty much the prosecutor's race, which was 60-40. So the idea that you've got any sort of perceived advantage, any sort of with early voting in your favor, could be in your favor, it, it can't be bad for him. It can only be good. Right. And the thing to keep in mind is, uh, I want to say back in <clears throat> back in May, when we, when we pulled in the last primary, Hawks only had about 46% of the Democratic primary vote. <clears throat> so we knew there wasn't a whole lot of excitement. Then you throw in the, throw in the current issues, we know with crime, you know, with violence, and sort of eight years is enough. I think I think, I think, think the odds still favor Hawks just because of numbers, but I don't think it's no longer by, by, by a full, if I could use a horse racing analogy here, it's more by a nose or a head, not by not by a length or a yeah. half. All right. Uh, wow, I'm actually proud of myself. Abdul's in, for, Abdul's in for Casey today. When we come back, Ron DeSantis, I think, has one magic bullet left in the chamber, and I think he is about to fire it later today. I'm going to ask Abdul if, if endorsements still matter at all, because there's a big one coming in Iowa. At least that's the rumor. We'll talk about it. Coming up next, Kendall and Casey Show, 93 WIBC. Do endorsements matter? We're about to find out in the presidential race. Hold on for a sec. This is R.E.M. End of the world as we know it. And I feel yes. fine. I love this song. You may do on Saturdays whatever you want to do. <laughs> uh, here. I love you too, little yes, brother. Yes, <laughs> here. I am in charge. Especially when Casey's not here. Because when she's here, she's in charge. All right. So let's talk about this. And you and I have gone back and forth on this for years about whether endorsements matter. And in the case of the presidential election, it looks like... Kim Reynolds, who is the governor of Iowa, a pretty popular governor in the state, is about to endorse Ron DeSantis. It's rumored the endorsement's going to come today, and then she's going to spend a couple days in Iowa campaigning with him and then go to Miami ahead of the debate um, on Wednesday to help him fundraise. So we saw here in 2016 when Mike Pence, now Mike Pence was not 
a popular governor. But when he endorsed Ted Cruz on these very airwaves, that didn't help Ted Cruz at all. Trump wins easily and, and the election, the primary is over. Do endorsements still matter? Here's my theory. Here's my theory on endorsements. You have always said you are more likely to listen to your next door neighbor than you are some politician. Yeah. Someone you have a personal relationship. Hey, Rob, I don't know this person. Who do you think I should vote for? Yeah. That, that type of thing. I think endorsements matter at that level in the sense that it provides you with money, with organization, with, with, with that type of thing. So to, to that extent, endorsements matter. Now, the question is going to be, how much does the governor of Iowa, uh, what's her face? Uh, Kim Reynolds. Kim, Kim, how much does she do for DeSantis? Does she, she, so, so, does she sort of turn on the, the, her gubernatorial machine yeah. and, and do that, bring out the voters for, for the primary and caucuses, the whole nine yards? But for the most part, hey, I got an endorsement. Okay, yay. Yeah, it's the earned media you get. However, at this point, if you haven't moved off of Trump... Like, if you've had all these months that DeSantis has been running and he's raised, I think at this point, between that and his super PAC, hundreds of millions of dollars. If you haven't been able to move the needle, is Kim Reynolds going to really? Because it's all in Iowa. DeSantis is putting everything in Iowa now. This is not a national strategy. This is an Iowa strategy. And he's banking on being, you know, there's always, it seems like every so often some big surprise in Iowa and some unexpected guy wins the primary and then that. Loses the general election. Sure. Well, but, but my point is. This is it, right? I mean, he's got to get Iowa, or at least not get embarrassed in Iowa, or it's over. He's got to come. I would, I would argue, he's got to come in at least a strong second or yeah. third in Iowa. Yeah, because because remember the three primary states to begin are Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina. If you can place first, second, or third in either one of those states, yeah, you've got you've got a shot at winning the nomination. Yeah, so uh, we'll see what happens. Again, it is a get for him. She's popular in the state, but whether it's gonna people are gonna go, oh my goodness, I was totally for Trump, and now well, Kim Reynolds is for DeSantis. Actually, I have a, a little brother. We used to live in Iowa. Yeah. Back, you lived back, everywhere. Back, back in Davenport, back in the uh, late 90s. You're like the guy in the song. You've been everywhere, man. <laughs> I've been everywhere, man. Uh, it and, is. Uh, yeah, go ahead. And then the, uh, the reason why I bring this up is because my little brother and uh, his family still live in Iowa. So as we get close to the Iowa caucus, I'm going to give him a call. Okay. He, he's, right. not, he's not necessarily involved in politics, but he's a regular person who's intelligent, yep. but doesn't follow politics the way we do. Everyone in your family is regular, but you. Yes, that is true. <laughs> hey, let's play this audio from Joe Rogan real quick. I love Joe Rogan's guests. Sometimes they just they intrigue me and because it's a, such a wide variety of guests. And he had uh, this guy is a very famous American surfer. His name was Shane Dorian uh, as his featured guest. And they talk about as Rogan always does a variety of topics. But w- one of the things they hit on that I just think is spot on and super interesting is is they went at how selective Democrats are when it comes to immigration. And I thought this was just absolutely the best. Take a listen. But look at New York City. When Cuomo was explaining how New York City yeah. literally uh, has a mandate to house its homeless, yeah. and that was supposed to be the people that lived there that were down on their luck, and now it's people that have come in from other cities, and or other countries, rather, illegally, and they're trying to make it so that those people can vote. And you see what they're doing with people That's from so Venezuela? Crazy! They're sending people yeah. back from Venezuela. Only from Venezuela. Yeah, because Venezuela opposes socialism, so they're not going to vote Democratic. Yeah, they don't want those people. That's crazy. <laughs>
wild. It's crazy how it's so odd. Like, when you start thinking about it like that, it, that sounds like a conspiracy theory, but it's like it's totally political, all these moves. 100%. Yeah. They're, they're literally importing Democratic voters. Yeah. They think by allowing the borders to be porous and by giving people aid and giving people housing, that you're essentially guaranteeing that if you can rig it so that those people are allowed to vote, those people are going to vote Democratic. And if you could say that, oh, voter ID is racist, like, uh, what? Voter ID is that's racist. That's crazy that it's, that's, they think that. It's, but and it's they not, don't think that. They don't no, think that. They know that that's not true. It's horse Yeah. It's all political horse Yeah, what? You were here doing talk radio when the voter ID thing came into Indiana. How is it that that's been the narrative that that's racist? Has that ever made any sense to you? No, it hasn't. He's basically saying, they're basically saying, the Democrats, you're too stupid as a black man to get a proper piece of identification. Well, first of all, uh, my own thing about the voter ID issue had always been, but you need ID for so many things these days. You need identity you need to prove you know, to go to the bank you need voter ID. You need to, to prove yourself to get your government benefits. You need some sort of voter fly on a plane. Vote, vote, voter ID. And and here's the thing to prove that voter ID is not racist. Since Indiana uh, became a voter ID state, the number of the voter participation and number of people voting has only increased. Yeah. So I'm like Come on. And they really make a great point with all of this, which is they're totally selective on who they want and who they want to keep around and who they want in as immigrants and who they don't want in as immigrants. And if you're coming from a place where they think there's a chance you might vote Republican, you got to go back. (laughs) All right, let's take a break. When we come back, Micah Beckwith will join us. We're going to talk about these uh, huge crop of underwhelming local election candidates. We'll talk about the Trump endorsement for Braun and a whole bunch more. It's Kendall Casey Show, 93 WIBC. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Most of these candidates are completely underwhelming. 93 WIBC. It is the Kendall and Casey show. I'm Rob Abdul's here. Let's go to the WIBC hotline. Joined by the conservative voice of the state of Indiana, Pastor Micah Beckwith. All right, Beckwith, from a conservative, liberty-minded person, whether it's Shreve in Indianapolis or Sue Finkham in Carmel and a bunch of these other races are uncontested, it's kind of an underwhelming election day to choose from here in these with these central Indiana candidates. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm looking at the ballots. I'm getting people who ask me for my typical endorsement list. I, I usually put out a, this is who I think would, would do well in upholding liberty and, and freedom in our in our central Indiana area. And to be honest with you, um, as far as top of the ticket goes, there's not a whole lot of uh, excitement that I have. I mean, I'm looking at these candidates, and, and we're in a place where it's, it's, the, it's the better option, but it's not a great option. And so – you know, again, every Democrat, whether it's Hogsett or Miles Nelson and, and Carmel, I mean, they've basically given themselves over to straight socialism on the path to communism. Everybody knows that they're making issues about national politics instead of local politics. So you know, they have no platform. But, man, these Republicans have just 
shot themselves in the foot. So it's it's hard. You know, I, I had I told the story in the air the other day. I had a long conversation with the with the guy uh, last week, and he 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 told me this, Mike. He said, "Rob, you got a lot of great ideas, and you're a really bright guy. It's just your style that rubs people wrong sometimes." And so <laughs> I'm really trying to turn over a new leaf here. So I'm trying to say things in a less oh I don't know what's is incendiary is that the is that the word I'm looking for here sort of way and um so I guess I'll say it like this it is depressing to me that there is a total lack of big bold ideas and people willing to fight for big bold ideas from public office holders across central Indiana is that an incorrect view to which I have well, I, I look at it this way. I think there is a there's a wing of the Republican Party. It's the Republican wing of the Democrat Party is how I like to say it. So and it's these people who are on the top of the ballot or in office and they have, quote unquote, bold ideas. But their bold ideas are supporting drag shows for kids. They're, they're thinking that the Republican Party should go down the path of this LGBTQ, you know, throw out traditional values. We don't want God. We don't want faith. We just want good economics and so we're going to build high-rise apartments in carmel or wherever and 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 we but but when it comes to god and faith and family absolutely not that's the old school republican party so what's happening is you're getting bold ideas but they're bold ideas that are basically just a few feet behind where the democrats have gone and their bold ideas are just wrong in my opinion i mean it's it's this is going to destroy our culture destroy our, our communities and so it's not really a lack of bold ideas. It's just we've we've given our party over to the wrong ideas, and we need people to go back to traditional conservative values and say, no, 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 let's stand on those, and that will that'll move us back in the right in the right direction, in my opinion. Yeah, it's like with the Indy Mayor's race. Tony and I have kind of I, I wouldn't say been sparring on air, but we've been talking about it differently on our two shows where Tony believes you got to vote for Shreve because he's, I think he described it as incrementally better. And I've said, absolutely not one. I'm not sure Shreve actually is incrementally better. And two, this is why we keep getting terrible candidates because the Republicans always put terrible candidates out there and then go, well, you got to vote for our, our guy. Cause he's, you know, whatever incrementally better or whatever word you want to use in the Democrat. I, I couldn't disagree with that more. I know there's people who are passionate on both sides of this. What say you? Well, let's play it out. So let's say Shreve does get elected. Now, Shreve, somebody who has openly said he doesn't believe in the Second Amendment, he's not he's not going to defend the Second Amendment. He thinks the Second Amendment should be provoked in Indianapolis. I mean, that's all that's basically what he said. I'm paraphrasing there. But so if he's willing to give up the Second Amendment, what other uh, liberties, fundamental rights is he willing to give up on our behalf? And if he wins, he now becomes a Republican leader in the state of Indiana. So every the largest city in Indiana, he is the top guy. The Republican Party in Indiana will say, Jefferson Shreve, you now get to set vision for the whole state on Republican principles. Do we want a guy who doesn't understand why the Second Amendment exists and is willing to throw it out the window just because he thinks it's politically expedient? Do we want him being the leader of the party of our entire state? Because that's what's going to happen. And then there's a good chance that Republican mayor might try to run for governor someday. I mean, see, this is a 
you got to kind of nip it in the bud. And I know it's Hogsett's going to be terrible for Indianapolis. I absolutely agree with that. It's a, I don't think anyone disagrees with that statement. Even Democrats don't disagree with that often. And so, uh, and so I just say you give this over to Jefferson Shreve. Now you set him up as a leader in the state, and he's going to take the party further left. That's my concern with which with voting for the lesser of the evils here. Uh, Mike, back with our guest. We're talking about the uh, local elections coming up tomorrow. Just a really bunch of uninspiring candidates on the Republican side. You know, when I ran, Micah, and I was totally new novice to politics, so maybe this is what helped me so much. Like, I saw a big picture, and I said, look, these are the things we need to do, and I'll figure out the details of how we're going to do them as we go along. And they were, you know, we're going to cut taxes, and we're going to reform the government, and we're going to fully fund big infrastructure, and we're going to move money away from special interest and to the people. And when I was running, people were like, you can't do this. And I was like, well, watch me whip, watch me nay-nay, here we go. And... We did the things. And I look at these people now, and it just doesn't seem like anybody wants to whip or nay-nay anymore, and people are just looking for the path of least resistance. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it's it's all about uh, it, it's all about the path of least, least resistance. And if I, I've seen this, just even being on the Hamilton County Public Library Board, um, I get a lot of elected officials who will text me or talk to me privately, and they'll say, Thank you for what you're doing. I'm really, I really am glad that there's somebody in there trying to remove porno, pornographic material from the hands of children, and uh, and then publicly, they're you know, mums the word. They don't say anything, and if they're ever asked about it publicly, they they do this you know duck and dodge kind of move. Like, well, I don't know if I necessarily agree with everything you know they're doing over there. So to that point. Where are the leaders that are willing to stand up and take the arrows and say, you know what, right is right and wrong is wrong, and I don't really care you know, what the consequences are. I'm going down the path of right. And so um, that's, we just don't see that in Indiana. We need a Ron DeSantis. We need somebody that will stand up for the sake of truth, whether the media comes you know, barking up their, their tree or not. Like, stand up. Do what you believe is right. And, and, uh, and, you know, let consequences be damned. All right, let's switch gears real quick. Beckwith is our guest. I just use – you're just like Cher now. You just have one name. It's just – it's Beckwith. <laughs> How about that? Great. For the artist formerly known as Beckwith. When so. you <laughs> run for lieutenant governor at convention next year, you have to have them introduce you. Now on the stage, Beckwith. <laughs> Well, hey, I mean, I don't know. Are you not gonna you not gonna do my intro for me? I, I thought that was sort of the plan. Is that wouldn't that give me some votes? <laughs> oh my gosh. That would be either the greatest thing you've ever done or the absolute worst thing you've ever done. I mean, are you really willing? Are you really willing to put your political future in my hands? No, no. That's just <laughs> Good call. When, I, when Mike and I were first talking about that, he's like, eh, I don't know. I've kind of committed that to my wife. I, I think she's got it handled. Uh, you were a close second. You yes, were a close second. Absolutely. So. Well, here's the thing. you got to decide at that convention, and you'll have a good idea going in who the delegates are, on whether you want to actually try to win or burn the thing to the ground. And uh, based on whether you what what your kind of synopsis of that, of that question is, that's how you'll decide whether I do the intro for you or not. <laughs> That's right. There we go. Uh, real there quick, but before we do let you go, big, big doings last week, and it totally got overshadowed by the Bobby Knight thing. Uh, Bobby Knight thing, but the, the passing of Bobby Knight, which is Mike Braun got endorsed by Donald Trump. Uh, not, not to like say to any way try to play politics with the death of Bobby Knight or whatever, but that was a terrible t- time for Braun to get that endorsement because he didn't he didn't get much of a news cycle out of it. 
That's true. I mean, I, I I don't think most people in Indiana knew that that happened. I, I and I don't know if Trump's endorsements really are as impactful in the state of Indiana. I, as I'm talking to people about that specific endorsement, now listen, I, I I'm a Trump guy. I think Trump it would be. I want somebody to go into Washington and beat the living daylights out of Washington on behalf of on behalf of the liberty-minded people in America. So I think Trump would be that guy. So I, I but I just don't think in Indiana. People are saying, okay, hey, an outsider from outside the state is going to uh, it's going to predict how I, I vote. I, I think there's a lot of educated voters in Indiana. I think people, especially in the Republican Party, are really paying attention. And they'll like Mike Braun for what Mike Braun stands for. Or they'll like Curtis Hill for what Curtis Hill stands for, Doden or, you know, just any of the other candidates. I, I don't think Trump's endorsement necessarily moves the needle as much as it would in maybe a state uh, you know, north of us, like like Michigan or something like that. So. so, so that was my question to you: Is if you're Mike Braun, how much good do you get out of this Trump endorsement? Uh, I mean, I think it's a, it's certainly something that I, you know he should get out there and and you know let people know that that happened. But I, again, I think if he tries to ride it too hard, the the danger for for Mike would be that uh, people would see him as literally trying to run on Trump's coats. Coach, uh, his coattails. I think he, Mike Braun just needs to set his course. I think he needs to tell the the Hoosier State what he's about, what he'll do as in, as governor. And it's great that you know President Trump endorsed me, but you know, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Here's my vision. Uh, don't vote for me because of President Trump. Vote for me because this is what I'll bring to you and your family and, and our state. All right, Beckwith, be honest. Whose endorsement would carry more weight at that convention, Trump's or mine? Well, you know, that's, that's a close call. Didn't you? Uh, didn't didn't you interview Trump a long time? I feel like you talked about that on you know that? maybe once or something like that. <laughs> I I can't remember. That? Maybe maybe both of you guys. I, if I could get both, that'd be the that'd be uh, you. Uh, Trump and then maybe uh, Thomas Massey. That's the trifecta right there, in well, my opinion. Look, here, I'm going to tell you, on the Mount Rushmore of milking something for longer than you should have, it's me and that Oliver Anthony guy, or Anthony Oliver, <laughs> whichever, whatever his name is, I forget. Uh, we're, we're a close one A and one B. I'm not going to use the term one-trick pony, but I've made a lot of money off that interview. Uh, all right, Micah Beckwith, you're the best. Thank you, my friend. Hey, thanks, brother. Appreciate you. 93 WIBC. It's Kendall and Casey Show.